0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Mirahall, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. If you can see you guys. As they continue to pass the baskets around, I encourage you to grab your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 14. Mike and I were buying our first house several years ago. My first pastorate uh, was at a church that had a parsonage, and so We had lived in that parsonage for a few years, and and, uh, my second church, uh, we moved to Knoxville, and we were excited about buying our first house. If you've ever done that, you can kind of think back to how exciting that is, and so we actually got in on this development, and they were building new houses, so we got to pick out a lot of stuff in the house, and so it was kind of cool to be able to sit there and, you know, kind of still being young, we only had... One child at the time, um, of course, we wanted nicer things and, and upgrades. And so when the builder was like, hey man, you can like have hardwood or you can have like carpet, which would you rather have? We were like, oh, we would rather have hardwood. Yeah, let's go with that. Well, that's going to be X amount of dollars extra. Oh, okay, well, we're okay with that. So, you know, you can have this kind of window or that kind of window. If you do this kind of window, it's going to be, you know, save you some money down the long road and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. It's like, okay, well, we'll take the good windows. And then, you you know, you can have these kind of countertops or these kind of countertops. And so we'll take those countertops. And, of course, everything is more expensive. And then by the end of the deal, we were really pumped about the house when we moved in. We liked everything. A couple months into it, we realized that we might have bitten off more than we could chew financially. Um, All these upgrades and all of these things that we, you know, included in the house, um, now we were paying for it. And um, not only that, but when we moved into the house, we didn't have a lot of furniture and stuff. And so we had this guy that was like this interior designer and he was like, hey, let me help you guys. And so he was like, yeah, you guys need this and this. And we were like, yeah, we need that and that. And, you know, we'll swipe the credit card. And so we swiped the credit card a few hundred times. And, you know, so we had this uh, house, we had this credit card debt and and man, we loved the house. And the first month was awesome. (laughs) And then the second month hit and we were like, I think we might've made a big mistake. I had had never heard of the term house poor, but but I did at that point because we were, you know. And and what that does to you like psychologically is it changes everything, you know? We didn't have any debt prior to that. We didn't have any, you know, uh, College debt, or credit card debt, or car debt. We didn't have any debt, so this was our first experience, like really dealing with financial trouble, financial stress. And so, uh, if you've ever been there, you know that man, it changes everything. There's a burden, a stress that comes with that, that affects your mood, it affects your sleeping habits, it affects your, you know, what you eat, you know, because first of all, you're eating baloney, um, and 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 so not only that, but you're not hungry sometimes, so. When you're stressed, when you have anxiety, it like affects every part of you, doesn't it? And uh, maybe you've been there. Maybe it wasn't financially for you, but it was relationally, and uh, you went through a tough marriage or a tough whatever. Maybe it was in the job world, and you were kind of worried that you were going to lose your job, or maybe in fact you did lose your job. So that brought a stress and trouble into your life. Maybe it was a health condition and Maybe you or maybe one of your children got sick or had some kind of disease or some kind of health issue and, and like that trouble just like infected your heart and, and it changed you. It changes everything. Um, luckily, God brought us through that. We met a man by the name of Dave Ramsey that also changed our life and changed us financially and we, we were, uh, are for the good and for the better now uh, financially and God did some great things for us. Um, but maybe you're still in it. Maybe at this point in your life, you would say that, you know, when it comes to trouble, like I am in trouble. Like I'm in trouble financially, I'm in trouble relationally, um, and my heart is, in fact, troubled. Well, when we look at the Bible, it obviously gives us um, direction and guidance in every area of life, and especially in the area of trouble. Um, In chapter 13, last week, Pastor Brandt did an amazing job. He's such a student of the Word. And you got to love on him, man, because he just loves God's word. He loves to teach and preach. And so I thought last week was awesome. And um, one of the things that uh, we see in chapter 13 is that Jesus is actually troubled. So it's interesting when you think about it, because sometimes we think that Jesus can't relate to us because, well, I mean, he's Jesus. (laughs) But in fact, Jesus had the emotions and the stress and the anxiety that you and I struggle with from time to time as well. And so in verse uh, 21 of chapter 13, it says Jesus was troubled. Now, why would Jesus be troubled, you know? I mean, you're Jesus, like everything. You could just snap your fingers and like fix it, right? And so you don't have to deal with trouble, Jesus. When something troubles you, you just snap your fingers and then it goes away. Well, in fact, that's not what Jesus does in his own life. And I guess that's probably why he doesn't do it in our life either, in, in our life either uh, when we go through trouble. Um, but why is Jesus troubled? If you look and read back over that chapter, you're gonna see that his best friend is about to deny him, Peter. That is troubling. You ever had a best friend stab you in the back? Yeah, that's troubling. Um, another one of his good friends, Judas, is about to sell him out as well. He's, he's about to betray him. And so that's pretty troubling. You know, they're eating dinner. He's washing uh, their feet, as Brandt said last week. He's washing the feet of Judas, who he knows is about to betray him. I mean, that's troubling, you know? I don't know if I, 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 matter of fact, I know I couldn't have done that. You know, I, maybe I would have like got boiling water and like poured it on Judas's feet. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know it was that hot, jerk. No, like, like he washes his feet and Judas is about to betray him. He's troubled. The disciples are troubled because of all of these circumstances. And oh, by the way, don't forget The remaining half of the book of John is about the last week of Jesus' life. So it's a very detailed day-by-day experience. And so Jesus is not going to be arrested in some distant future in a couple of years. This week, he's about to be arrested. He's about to be murdered. And so Jesus is troubled. And yet, if you look at your Bible in chapter 14, verse 1, it starts by saying, Let not your heart be troubled. Now, when you read the Bible, I hope you don't like just read through it just to get through it. I hope you're just not like, you know, trying to get through a verse or get through a chapter or whatever just to say you got it read. You should read it and you should ask questions as you read it and you should kind of think about it as you read it. You'll get more out of it. And so as I'm reading this and I see, let not your heart be troubled, and I'm like, wait a minute, in verse 21, just a few verses earlier in chapter 13, Jesus is troubled, and now he's telling me not to be troubled. I mean, I'm thinking, how can I not be troubled when I'm in trouble, you know? I'm troubled, don't tell me not to be troubled because I'm in trouble, you know? Of course I'm gonna be stressed and and, and stressed out. So what is he saying to us? How, How do we overcome stress? How do we overcome trouble? You know, in our life, how how do we deal with this? And I think the Bible speaks very clearly to us this morning. And so he says, let not your heart be troubled. And what does he say next? Take a look. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. So if you're taking notes here, you might want to jot this down. Like for us to overcome discouragement in our life, it's going to take a level of faith or a level of trust. And so my trust or my faith in Jesus helps me overcome discouragement. So that's where the fight begins. That's where the, 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 the challenge really begins. And that's where you and I have to begin this fight. It's on the foundation of our faith in Jesus that we're able to overcome stress and that we're able to um, not let our heart be troubled in the face of trouble. If your faith is weak today, then when cancer comes into your family's life, when financial stress comes into your life when relational tor- turmoil hits your family then your world is going to be rocked in such a way that you're never over that you're ne- never able to overcome it and so he very clearly says believe in God trust in God believe in me believe in Jesus trust in me this is where the fight Begins. You don't have to. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. It's not going to be on the screen, but but in Philippians chapter four, it's a classic passage of scripture that deals specifically with this. I'm going to run through it real quickly, and you can read it later. But he says in verse six of chapter four, he says, "Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything." He's echoing the words of Jesus here. When Jesus would say, "Let not your heart be troubled," and we're scratching our heads, saying, "Ah, oh, but I'm in trouble." And here he's like saying, don't be anxious about anything. Are you kidding me? We have so much to be anxious about, you know? We have so much to be anxious about. There's so many things happening in our life, and just watch the news, and you're going to see a million different things that you need to be worried about, and yet the word of God says, don't be anxious about anything. How do we not be anxious? He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be be made known to God. In other words, stop being anxious about it and start talking to God about it. And as I talk to God and as I express my heart to God and as I deal with these issues with God, then what happens? Take a look. He says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So have you ever seen somebody that's going through a death in the family, a disease, something really tragic, a divorce or whatever's really happening? You know, it's a, it's a big deal in their life. But they're believers and, they're, and, and there's a faith component there that's, that, that, that's strong in their life. And you're thinking, man, if that was me, if I was in that situation, I would be a basket case, you know? I would, I would be, I'd be going nuts. So I would be so worried and uptight. I would be going crazy. And, and we look at them and we think, how are they so strong? How are they doing it? How are you able to keep it together like that? And, and, and the answer is right here. It's, it's like, well, my faith, my faith in God, you know, and so I'm not, I'm not going to be anxious about it. I'm going to pray about it. And here's what happens when we pray about it, when we talk to God about our situations. He gives us a peace that transcends all understanding. You see, you can't go to Walmart and buy peace. We'd all be in that aisle right now, you know, you can't, you can't. Earn peace. You know, you can't, you can't trade for peace. You can't buy it. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can buy that's going to help you experience peace. The thing about a prayer life through the midst of turmoil, through the midst of anxiety and trouble in our life, is that a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit supersedes and intervenes in our heart, and here it says, even in our minds it gives us this peace to be able to deal with it and to handle it. It blows me away that people run to the dude at work who cusses like a sailor and cheated on his wife for marriage advice. Why do we do that? You know, we like vent to people that can't help us. And we, you know, we're we're talking to the chick from, you know, high school that still gets drunk and goes to the club on the weekends. And we're asking her for relational advice, you know. We're asking people who are broke to help us, you know, understand our finances and what kind of financial, you know, decisions we should make. Like that's the wrong person to talk to. <laughs> the right person, it starts with Jesus. It starts through, through that relationship, my faith with him. And as I talk to him, he gives me peace. My faith is stronger and that helps me overcome the discouragement. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Trust in me, believe in me and believe also in God. Let's continue. He says this in verse two, he says, in my father's house are many rooms and we can play football. I'm just kidding. (laughs) If you grew up in church, you know that joke. If not, that was weird. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So Jesus is saying, okay, don't let your heart be troubled. Your faith is going to be the component that helps you overcome the trouble in your life. And the other component that's going to help you overcome the trouble in your life is to have a perspective on your future. And so if, if, if I understand that heaven is my home, then I can begin to focus on my future. Now, these men are not about to die. These men, the disciple, well, except for Judas, but Judas already left, so um, the disciples are not about to die. So he's not like preparing them for this week. Hey, you're gonna, we're gonna be together in heaven. No, they live for many years, okay? So, so he's saying that in the future, heaven is your home, but he's also casting a vision for their life here that, that I want you to keep the perspective that no matter what you are going through, I am in heaven with the Father preparing a place for you So in the midst of your circumstances, you're gonna feel like I don't love you. You're gonna potentially feel like I'm not there. You're gonna potentially feel anxiety and like I'm not around. But let me tell you something, trust me on this one. I am with the Father preparing a place for you. And so this is what that means. Because he has secured my future, because he's made a reservation for me in heaven, that means that God still loves me, that God's in control, and that God still has a plan for me. And so no matter what I face, I'm gonna keep those perspectives in line. That it doesn't, Maybe, maybe I don't understand the circumstances, and I don't get why you would do this, God, or why you would allow this to happen, but because my future is secure, I know that you love me, I know that you're in control, and I know that you've got a plan and a purpose for me. And so he says, look, if you basically have faith in Jesus, there's a promise here that you're going to be with Jesus. And if you don't get anything else from today's sermon, I want you to grasp this. That your faith in Jesus promises you a future with Jesus. So when we think about our future, we're not so, you know, uh, laser-focused tunnel vision on our current problem. Because when we go through trouble, we laser-focus on that problem, right? We talk about it constantly. We lose sleep about it. We're thinking about it all the time. It drains us emotionally. And so what he's saying here is don't focus on your problem. Focus on Jesus, Talk to Jesus. Think about your future with Jesus because my future is brighter. The better days of my life are ahead of me because the problems that I'm facing today, it's just a season of life. It's a tough season, but I'm not going to be in this season forever. As my faith grows and I dive into my walk with with Christ, he's going to grow me through this and my future will be greater. And one day I'm going to be in heaven with him. He's given me He's given me the reality and the security that he's made a reservation for me in heaven through the blood of Christ, not because of anything I've done, simply because of my faith in what he has done. And so we've all experienced bad reservation moments, right? I made a reservation you know, for a group of guys. We were going to a conference in Atlanta several years ago, and so I got two rooms, and you know, it was a church deal, so we were, you know, we were consolidating. We were trying to be you know, budget you know, conscious, and so we got two rooms for the four guys. We were going to share a room, but obviously we were going to do two beds in each room. So I made a reservation, two rooms, two beds in each room. And I get to the place, and it was late at night, and, like, we stroll in. We just want to crash because we, we were so tired. And I was like, yeah, reservation for Trent Stewart. And, and uh, she, you know, clicks on and she's like, okay, we've got these two rooms with king size beds, and you guys, here's your keys. And I was like, ho, 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 <clears> ho. <throat> I was with Pastor Greg, so there's no way I'm sleeping with him, right? So I was like, all right. I specifically made a reservation for two rooms and and, and two beds in each room. And she said, well, I understand that, sir. But, you know, when you make a reservation, that doesn't really guarantee that you're going to get that room, you know. And so uh, I asked you to be patient with us. And I was like, wait a minute. Isn't that what a reservation is? (laughs) Like we're reserving that. So I felt like I was in a Seinfeld episode. I was like, so let me get this straight. You know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to keep the reservation, (laughs) But that's the whole point of the reservation, right? And so we, I was like, we're out of here because I'm not sleeping with this guy. So we left and we went to a different place. Uh, But see, when it comes to our faith in heaven and in in our future, like, like we're not counting on our credit card number or we're not counting on a booking agency to secure our reservation. This is totally given to us by God's grace and, and the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, so we want to understand that, that, that this is secure. Um, and I love what Jesus says in verse 2. He says, If it were not so, I would have told you. And I think that's the NIV version. But he, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you and um, I've got to go. And so in the future, I'm going to come back for you and take you to be with me. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I love that because there's so much assurance there. He's like, Look, I, I, I would have told you if it was different. I would have told you the right thing. And, you know, this is true. This is real for you. So grasp this. And so there's assurance there. If it were not so, if it was different, I would have told you. Now, you've got friends who, you know, you spent, you know, a hundred bucks to go see a movie with your family that was a horrible movie. And the next day at work, you were like, bro, don't go see this movie. I saw this with my family. It was terrible. And he says, oh, man, I would have told you not to go see that. I saw it last weekend. And you're like, why didn't you tell me, you know? And so if, it's, if, if you get caught in traffic and you're like, oh, I took, you know, I took 640 around during the game. Oh, I would have told you not to do that, you know. It's like, why didn't you tell me? We, we, all that stuff happens to us, and, and that's not going to happen from Jesus. Like in 2016, you know, we're not far from 16, and, and so he's not going to show up in 2016 and say, okay, hey, guy, things, guys, things have changed um, and so here, here's a new path or a new way to heaven. Here, here's a new way to experience a relationship with God. You know, he's not gonna come back and tell us something different because he's already told us the truth. And so if it were not so, he would have already told us. And so there's assurance there as we trust in who he is and what he has said and done for us already. Now look at verse five. Now Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way. So Thomas is confused by this whole thing and he asks a really good question. I think it's a question that you and I should ask. I think it's a great question when you're experiencing anxiety and stress in your life, when you're experiencing trouble in your life, to sit down and to say, Jesus, what way should I go? Jesus, what, what, what's the path that you want me to walk? Because again, we're, we're really quick to ask knuckleheads at work And and old friends for advice who don't know the Bible, who, uh, you know, make even worse mistakes than we have. And we still cling to their, you know, their wisdom instead of first going to God. Instead of first going to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, which way should I go? And Jesus then responds to that question with one of the most controversial statements that he ever made in the entire New Testament. In verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you do not know him and have not, or, I'm sorry, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus makes this statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the father except through me. What he's saying there is I am the way because I am the truth because I am the life. When you think about it in those terms, you know, maybe that helps you understand that that okay, Jesus is is the is the truth and because he is the truth, he's the way and and because of that he that means not only is he the way, the truth, but now he's he's the life that we We have to have that we need in order to have heaven, in order to have a relationship with God. And oh, by the way, there's no other way to God except through him. And again, our faith in Jesus promises a future with Jesus. And so he's talking even in this verse about this truth and about this promise. And so this is so critical in our world today because in our world um, absolute truth, what is truth, is, is in jeopardy, you know, because everybody has their opinion of what is true and what is real and, and what reality should be. And, and we all kind of, you know, have this mentality and culture now of you get to decide what's true for you and I'll decide what's true for me. But when Jesus says that He is the truth here, He's not just saying that I know the truth or I'm telling you the truth. He is saying that He, in fact, is truth. And all throughout God's word, as we read it, we understand God's word to be his revealed, written truth to us. And so when it comes to absolute truth, statistically, it's, we're hearing numbers like 72% of Americans don't believe in absolute truth. What's even scarier is that 67% of church-going, Bible-believing Christians are not believing in absolute truth either. So what is absolute truth? Absolute truth is simply truth that is right for everyone, at all times, and in all places. So when I say absolute truth, that means that something is true regardless of who the person is, regardless of what time they lived on Earth, whether they lived in the first century, their second century, or they're going to live in the future. So doesn't absolute truth crosses all time, crosses all people? So And it's true for one, at all times, all places. And so it doesn't change. And so what God says is true in the beginning of time is still true today. And so you're going to make your decision based upon what truth is, um, based on this understanding or, or another. So you're either going to make decisions and live your life based on the fact that God has revealed his truth in Scripture. And so there is an absolute truth. He says what is right, and he says what is wrong. Or you're going to believe what, you know, 71% of Americans believe, and that is uh, truth is subjective or it's situational. And so that you uh, get to decide what you think is true for you in your time and in your place and in your circumstances. Whatever situation you find yourself in, you get to decide what is right and what is wrong. And obviously that is contrary to how God's word would teach us. So think of it like this. Um, teenagers, if you've got a curfew that is 10 p.m. during the weekday and 11 p.m. on the weekends, is that an absolute truth? Well, no, because your friends might have a different curfew. And so that's not absolute. You know, curfews are subjective. You know, that's not in the Bible. God doesn't say thou shalt be home by 10 o'clock. And so, so that's a subjective thing that parents deal with. And yet if I, if I were to say that Sex is reserved for a man and a woman in the confines of a covenant relationship called marriage. That is an absolute truth because God clearly teaches us that is the case in his word. But in our culture today, that's being subjectivized. Like, okay, that was true for back in the day. I just made up that word, by the way. Should subjectivize, write that down, send it to Webster. So, that was true back in the day, but now we live in a different culture it's a different time it's a different you know we live in the modern era, so it's it's okay for for you know gay lesbian marriage that that's just fine. I mean, you realize that the gay and lesbian agenda deal was going on way before our generation, right I mean, this has been an issue this has been something that that culture has been facing you know. For millennia so it's not a new modern issue but when we come to the issues like this or issues like abortion it becomes subjective it becomes situational think of it like this so if you've got a test with college students or you know you've got a test this week and and so you know uh you're an a student you make pretty good grades and so you're you're not worried about it and so you decide to study and but the night before you you know you're 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 cramming and studying you know where you're going to make a good grade because that's what you do you study and you make good grades but that night, you get a migraine headache. And so you get a headache and you're like, oh, I can't study, I can't read, it's too painful. And so what you decide to do because of your situation, you decide to make a cheat sheet. Just because this one time I have a headache, and if I hadn't been for the headache, I would have studied, I would have made a good grade. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make the cheat sheet. And, and, and so the next day you go to class, you use the cheat sheet, and you make an A, and you, live, you go on and live your life. Now, how did you come about that decision well, you come about that decision based on your understanding of absolute truth. You come to make that decision based upon your worldview and based upon the framework that you understand the gospel. And so we make decisions through that framework and then we live our life. And so, so this person, based on their situation, thought it okay to cheat, even though clearly an absolute truth is that cheating is sin. And so we do this on a regular basis. And so so part of our mission series that I'm really pumped up about, Make Some Noise, is just helping us think through how the gospel changes every decision that we make. We can't make decisions based upon how we feel. We can't make decisions based on morality because God has already told us what is moral and what is immoral. You don't get to play God, you don't get to play judge. And because we are not in that position to play judge, to to play dictator on what is right and what is wrong, we are created beings and so we look to our creator to tell us what is right, to tell us what is wrong, and then out of that knowledge, we make decisions. And in the church, especially in the southern culture, we have compartmentalized our church and decisions and life and then our real world. And so in our real world, we make decisions based upon what friends and neighbors and culture is doing. And then we come to church, and then we kind of have this church kind of ecosystem in our life. And, and, and it's just not a scriptural life. Like, we are believers, and so we make decisions based upon what the gospel says and teaches. And so God is who inspires and, and, and shows us what we should believe when it comes to a right to life. It should change how we vote. It should change how we interact with people. It should change how we look at work. It should change how we look at our neighbors. It should change how we make decisions financially. It should change every aspect of our life. And yet we find so many people who wanna live on this church side for you know, a couple hours a week and then live on this side for the rest of the week and say, you know what, don't touch me, God, in this area of my life. And don't, I don't want to have to deal with this, God. You don't know what I'm going through, man. You, you don't know what's, what's, what, what's going on. And so I can make decisions and do whatever based on how I feel and what I think is true. And Jesus says, uh-uh, I'm, I gotta tell you that I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And that no man comes to the Father but by me, and so this impacts, you know, religion as well. So there's two really huge, you know, misunderstandings or myths about religion that I wanted to speak about today. First off, there's this myth that all religions are basically the same. When you boil them down, all religions are basically the same, so just pick one, doesn't matter which one, just choose one and be sincere about it because God is gonna honor your sincerity And it's kind of like envision this big mountain. And so like all these religions are around this mountain. God's at the top of the mountain. So just pick a path and just be sincere about it. And eventually you're gonna walk that path to the top where God is sitting and that's all that matters. Well, I mean, this one statement. I mean, we could spend all year talking about how Christianity is different than every other religion. But this one verse like seals the deal. We can start and finish here because Jesus totally separates Christianity from all other religions. Now all the religions might say Jesus is a good guy or he's a good prophet, but there's no other religion that would say that Jesus is the only way to God. And so in this one statement, Jesus separates himself from all other faiths and he says that I am the only path to God. So I'm going to heaven, I'm preparing a place for you you know, Thomas says, We don't know where to go. What way should we go? And Jesus says, My way. Go my way because it's the only way. Don't ask anybody else for directions because nobody else has been there. You've got to listen to me because I know the path, I know the way. If you follow my way, you'll get to go too. If you listen to other people or you go another way, it's not going to lead you to my way, to my dad's house, because I've been to my dad's house and I know how to get there, so you better follow me. All religions are not basically the same. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is tempted. And when Jesus is tempted, one of the the, the first temptations Satan offers him is he takes him to the top of a mountain. He shows him you know, all of these great cities. And he says, all of this can be yours. I can give you all of these things and anything in them if you just bow down and worship me. So the offer was materially. I can give you glory. I can give you power. I can give you success. All of this, Jesus, if you just bow down. In other words, look, it doesn't matter what you follow or what path you choose. Just, just be sincere, just in this moment. God doesn't care. You know, just follow me. And of course, what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. He says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So so it's vitally important that we understand and know who it is and what it is we're worshiping and what it is we're following. And if we're trying to merge other religions and other areas of life into this area, then we're totally living our life contrary to the gospel. So we've got that. We've got a second myth that says that Christians are narrow-minded or they're snobbish when they say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And so maybe you've, you've heard that, or you've, you've, you've run into that. Like, for you to say that there is only one way to God, that is totally arrogant. How can you say that? Well, I would first agree with you. I would say that Christianity is arrogant if there were multiple ways to God. But in fact, there are not. And so we teach a very narrow gospel. We teach a very limited uh, way to the Father because that is the gospel that Jesus Christ has given to us. And so it is not narrow-minded. It is the most loving thing that I could teach you because it is the truth. If you've got a car bomb attached to your ignition today and um As soon as you put the, you know, the the key in and you turn the ignition, your car was going to explode. And I knew that was about to happen. Would it be very loving for me to say, you know, have a good lunch. (laughs) (laughs) You know, God bless you. Praying for you this week. No, I mean, that wouldn't be loving, you know. A simple statement like that we think is so wonderful. I said, God bless you, or, you know, I'd said a comment about blessing them. And so I feel so holy. And yet they're going to die and go to hell, you know? So, so, so like, yeah, it wouldn't be loving if I just kind of let that happen. I would want to say, hey, uh, there's a bomb near your car. Don't, you know, go in it, don't turn it on. And you might say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, Trent, you know? But in fact, if it was true, it, it's the most loving thing I could do. And the gospel is the same way. When my son was born, he just turned 11. Um, when my son was born, he um, started to show signs of jaundice. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's kind of a liver disorder. And, and a lot of babies experience this. But as young parents at that time, we didn't know what the heck it was. And, and so we were a little shaken by it. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just kind of a liver deal that is easily solved you know and so the doctor came in the pediatrician he was like okay well so so Bryson is starting to develop jaundice, but but don't be worried because all we have to do is we have to put him under this special light it's like a little tanning bed for babies and uh you you lay under that light for a little while it gets his liver going and then he's perfectly normal and everything's fine and um and so we could have as parents said well doc let's just let me just hold up here for a minute um I, um, I understand what you're saying and all, but that sounds a little too easy. And so we, we don't think that, you know, uh, that's going to work. Instead, we're just going to take him home and we're going to scrub him down with some soap really good and uh, maybe spray some Lysol on him, and we think that's going to take care of it. Well, he would look at us like we're idiots, and he would say, well, you could do that. Um, but that's not going to help his jaundice. I'm, I'm telling you, there's only one way to cure him, and, and, and that's to put him under this special light. And I could say, you know what, I understand. That could be true for you, Doc, but this is the truth for me. I think we can go home and just kind of ignore this and just kind of you know, be positive about it. We're going to have a positive attitude, and we just think it's going to work out. And we could do that, and he would look at us, and he would say, well, you're an idiot, and I want you to look at my wall here, and I've got like two and three degrees, and, and so I've studied this, and I know what I'm talking about, and I've helped thousands of other babies deal with this issue, and there's only one way that, that, that Bryson can be healed from this and, and to get better, and, and, and that's the center of the special light. Now, if we chose, and we did obviously choose to, to, uh, to, to go that path, and he was fixed in a day, and we went home, and everything was great, um, but when we think about it in those terms, you might hear that story, and, and, and you would never say, well, man, that Trent, that's narrow-minded. There's got to be other ways to heal Bryson from that, and could have been other ways to deal with that. No, we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't care about that. And so what Jesus is saying here is I am the way because I am the truth and because I am the life and, 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 and I know the way to the Father's house and, and I am providing this way for you as I leave you and as I die on the cross, I know the way, I am the way. And essentially he's saying that salvation can only be found in one way. And God wants you to experience that salvation. In 2 Peter 3, 9 the Bible says that God is not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. So the truth is God wants you to find this way. He's not like hiding it from you. There's no hide and seek deal going on. Like God wants you to experience salvation. He, he offers to you today this path, this path that leads to overcoming trouble and anxiety in your heart and in your life. This path of, of putting you on a, a, a journey to experience life to the fullest. And not only life to the fullest, but heaven as your home. I love how Jesus here, as he, as he points to future stuff here, essentially what I think he's saying and, and, and what he's showing us is is when we're going through trouble, when we're going through anxiety, when we're going through a difficult situation, what we want to do and what we tend to do is have this tunnel vision on our current problem. And yet everything he's talking about causes us to look at our future, causes us to look at what he's doing in the future and how he's going to overcome this in our heart, how we're going to overcome this through him and and not just our own strength. So here's what I did, I put together an acrostic that I think will help us if you're going through a tough time, if you're experiencing trouble, and what we have to do is one word, it's the word rest, and so when we're going through a troubled heart, we we should hear the words of Jesus, do not let your heart be troubled, and we should think of the word rest, and so we're going to rest in him, and so the first letter of the, the acrostic just stands for remember his promise. So you're facing an issue today. You come into here stressed out, anxiety, it's financial, it's relational, it's health, whatever it is. And so the first step for you is to remember his promises. And as I rest in him, as I rest in who he is, I'm gonna remember these promises and there's thousands of promises all throughout the scripture. And whatever situation you're facing, whatever you're going through, like you find those issues, you find those people that have gone through similar situations. And as you do that, you begin to understand and you begin to see that as I, that I know his promises, then I can begin to believe in those promises and I'm comforted by those promises and I've, I've got confidence in those promises. I can tell you that most of what you've gone through, people in the Bible have gone through it as well. You know, Tamar was raped, Noah got drunk, David committed adultery, on and on and on the list. You can find people, Zacchaeus had money problems, um, Peter had faith issues, no matter what you're facing, there's people in the Bible that have dealt with similar situations. So we're going to remember his promises. The, the next letter, E, stands for examine his word. If there is an issue going on in your life and you're not in God's word, man, I don't know, I don't know why you're running to other places for answers. Your answers are right here. And so I want to examine God's word. And I, don't, I just want to breeze through it. I want to read it. I want to ask questions about it. And I want to talk to people who know it that can help me understand it. And so that might be reading commentaries, that might be reading other books, that might be meeting over coffee with people that know it, so that I can get to an understanding of what it is that God is doing and what, what it is that God is saying, because I want to examine His Word. Because I, as I examine His Word, then I'm able to do the next letter S, which is submit to His plan, which could be the hardest part to do, right? Like if I'm going to rest in God, that means I've got to submit to His plan. And and in the moment of the, of the tragedy or whatever, it doesn't feel very helpful to submit to his plan because we want to go and do our plan. And we think we can, we can figure out a new deal in a new way. And if I go that way, I can fix this and I can feel better. And Jesus says, no, you got to submit to my plan, not your plan. And then finally, the last letter is T, and that just stands for talk to God. I going to talk to him about this and, and experience this with him as I talk to him in my prayer life and, and I'm gonna deal with this with him and, and this isn't like a one, two, three step plan. This is like a do it all at the same time, rest in God. I'm gonna remember his promises. I'm gonna examine his word and, 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 and then I'm gonna to submit to his plan. I'm gonna to talk to him about this and as I rest in him and his promises and his truth, man, that's when I have this peace that transcends all understanding. That's when I can see, okay, let not your heart be troubled. I, okay, I get that now, Jesus. I'm resting in you. No matter what I am going through, I am resting in you. I've, I've dealt with cancer a lot in, just through church and ministry. And one of the first people I ever watched go through cancer, his name was David Chitwood. And um, he was in my first church and he wasn't very active in church. He wasn't really doing a whole lot. I rarely saw him, didn't know him very well at all. um but his wife was like this prayer warrior. I mean, she was just like this. I mean, when you think of like a godly woman, she's like right there in the dictionary, you know, because she was so, so godly and and she was praying for a husband for years, you know, um just to come to a deeper walk with with God and and be involved in church and ministry. and so I found out all this stuff afterwards, but He showed up one day and he told me that he had liver cancer. And the doctors only gave him a few months to live. And a guy I didn't know very well at all for the next six, seven months, I got to know very well. The first month he spent wrestling with why God. By the end of that month, he had submitted to God's plan and he had had repented of sin in his life and he'd come back to God. The next few months he spent doing everything that he could in ministry. The next few months were were, were him just diving into the word of God. His wife and he spending the greatest time they'd ever spent together. Her prayers were being answered. He's praying for healing through this. But the next few months of his life, I saw him die. And it was heartbreaking. And I would watch him... And I would talk to him, and I would talk to Betty, his wife. And as I watched him go through this, my heart was troubled. And I wanted to worry for them, and I wanted to share, like, all of these, you know, things that I thought would help. But, you know, my words were empty. And every time I would spend time with them, I would go to try to help them. But I would walk away feeling like they helped me. And I watched him die and his, his, his last words to me were that he had waited too long, but that he was thankful that God restored his marriage and that God restored his relationship with him. And he said, if it took cancer for me to get that trim, I'm okay with that. And I saw faith and I saw a life that I'd never seen before. I'd I'd never witnessed that one-on-one with somebody before until that moment, and it changed me. It changed my perspective, and it gave me hope. And I just want you to know today that if it's a life-threatening issue, if it's a financial issue, or it could be something really, really small that you've made huge, that God is in control, and we can rest in who He is, if it was different he would have told us and we can trust him on that and i want us to close today just in prayer and knowing that i realize some of you have never given your life to jesus you think there are many roads to heaven you think jesus is a good guy but you've never really submitted your life to him i'm just here to tell you you're never going to understand this peace until you submit your life to him and i want to encourage you to do that today when you walk out these back doors there's a room to your left called the care and prayer room We've got counselors in there that would love to walk you through that decision and talk with you. Maybe you're going through a, a, a tough time and, and all of this you know, talk today is, is just really kind of wrestled. You're just kind of wrestling with you. you want somebody to pray with you. They'd love to just pray with you today. Encourage you to go step in there. And for all of us, as we close today, I've asked the band to sing one of my favorite songs right now. Um, it's called I Will Rest. And it really teaches everything that we've been covering today. No matter what we're facing, we can rest in the promises of God in the truth of God and in the plan of God today. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.